Welcome to A Crash Investigation, the podcast. The show we dissect and discuss prominent crashes in aviation history. I am your host, Jona Kakai, and in this episode, we will be discussing, I think, one of my favorite, not to say that I have a favorite crash, but one of the most topsy-turvy crashes in history. We are going to be talking about Air France Flight 358. Now, before we continue, I just have to say, if you hear just like a little bit of whistling, that's not me. That's just the wind. It's really windy here. I have no idea why. But if you are listening on YouTube, do not forget to like and subscribe. And if you are listening to me or us on a podcast listening platform such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., do not forget to rate us five stars because we are the best podcast on the planet. But without wasting any more of your time, let us get into it. It is the greatest aviation mystery of all time. Lies a massive passenger jet and the remains of its 239 passengers and crew. Uh, good morning, we have uh, a smoke uh, uh, problem. And we're doing emergency descent to level 105140. In December 1988, a passenger airliner was bombed over Scotland in what was one of the largest pre-9-11 terrorist attacks. France Flight 358 was a scheduled flight for the 2nd of August 2005. This flight was from Charles de Gaulle International Airport, Paris, France, and its destination was Toronto Pearson International Airport, Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. Sorry if I said that wrong. The aeroplane that was used was the famous Airbus A340-313E. Finally, the call sign for Air France Flight 358 was Air France 358. Now the crew. The captain of this flight was 57-year-old Alain Rosaille. He became an Air France employee when Air Inter merged with Air France in 1997. Captain Rosaille was both a captain and instructor for Air France, specifically on the A320 airplane. He flew the Airbus A319, A320 and A321. In 2001, Captain Rosaille finally obtained his Airbus A340 rating. He was known to be a good and loyal employee. According to his colleagues, he was easy to fly with, so that's good. In total, Alain Rosaille obtained 15,411 flight hours. His last medical exam was on the 7th of July 2005, and it was valid until the 31st of January 2006. Finally, Captain Rosaille only needed corrective lenses while flying. Now it is time for the first officer. The first officer of this flight was 43-year-old Frederick Nord. He started working for Air France in April of 1997. Nord would fly the Airbus A319, A320 and A321. He received his Airbus A340 rating on, guess what, 9-11. I know, yes, on the 11th of September 2001, he received his A340 rating. So that's kind of creepy, but I just wanted to add that in there for fun facts. 
first officer nod was known as a and i quote solid and competent pilot who had no problems on the line or during training end quote in total first officer nod obtained 4834 flight hours and he obtained his medical certificate on the 8th of february 2005 there were 297 passengers on board and 10 flight attendants. Nine of those flight attendants were qualified and the additional one was not qualified yet. But that doesn't matter because we're not talking about them right now. The flight. Air France Flight 358 took off from Charles de Gaulle at 7 minutes to 12 Universal Time Coordinated or UTC. First Officer Naud was a pilot who was flying the plane. The crew flew the plane through autopilot and the flight was actually uneventful. At around 15 minutes to 8 o'clock p.m. UTC, Air France Flight 358 was approaching Toronto Pearson International Airport. The crew then received a weather forecast that said that there were thunderstorms and rain in Toronto. And this was not a lie or a glitch. Toronto was experiencing heavy rain, wind and lightning. The weather was so bad that Toronto Pearson International Airport was put on red alert. Now red alert is a warning that airports put on that says that there is a greater risk of getting struck by lightning. Like try to conceptualize that getting struck by lightning. Now due to the bad weather, Air France was delayed and it was actually put into a holding pattern. The crew thought about diverting to an alternate airport in Ottawa, but they realized that it would be a logistical nightmare. Now, when I say logistical nightmare, I basically mean that the pilots were afraid that if they actually went to go and land at Ottawa, then a lot of their passengers would be stranded and would be stuck, meaning that they would need more money to transfer those people to Toronto. You see more money and airlines don't like to spend money. The delay wasn't that long actually, it only took 20 minutes. Now there was an aeroplane in front of Air France Flight 358 and the aeroplane had a hard time landing and braking, however the plane did land successfully. Air France Flight 358 was instructed to land using the Instrument Landing System or ILS. First officer now disconnected the autopilot and auto thrust. Air France Flight 358 was instructed to land on runway 24 left because the runway allowed the plane to land into the wind. Something to add is that this runway was actually the shortest runway at the airport. The reason why they landed here, not only because they could actually land into the wind, but also all the other runways at that airport were closed either due to weather or maintenance, so red flag also. Now there was a really high ground speed but through it all Air France Flight 358 landed. The passengers were happy and clapping until the aeroplane did not stop and the aeroplane lost power. Air France Flight 358 was going incredibly fast and as a result the Airbus A340 overshoots the runway and it crashes into a ravine at 2 minutes past 8pm UTC. Everyone, surprisingly and by the miracles, survives the crash, but there was a greater risk now. Jet fuel was entering the cabin quickly and there was a fire on the right side of the plane. Naturally, there was a lot of panic in the cabin. Luckily, every single passenger and crew member evacuated successfully. 
Two crew members and 10 passengers were seriously injured, but everyone survived. This, I don't know, was like something that you'd actually hear from a movie that is not based on like real life. It's just kind of crazy to believe that a lot of people, almost over 300 people survived a crash and nobody died. That's unheard of, to be honest, and quite impressive. Now it is time for the investigation. The board that was in charge of the investigation or investigating the crash was the Transportation Safety Board of Canada, RTSB. So now let's talk about the crash site. The aeroplane was severely damaged due to the post-crash fire and something that I have to add and something that you have to keep at the back of your mind is that the spoilers and thrust reversers were deployed. The meteorological information. So Toronto Pearson International Airport was experiencing extreme rain, wind, turbulence and lightning. Therefore, weather was the cause of the crash, right? Well, the TSB investigators discovered that the instruments on the ground that are used to measure the winds and conditions on the runway were damaged by the lightning in the area. This means that Captain Rosaya and First Officer Nod had to rely heavily on the onboard radar monitor. Now, the pilots had no idea of the conditions that were on the ground as the sensors of the actual aeroplane only monitor the area around the nose of the aircraft. So, it was a weather-induced crash. We are not there yet. A plane landed before Air France 358, yet that aeroplane did not crash. So, who is the problem? When Air France Flight 358 was trying to land, they experienced even worse conditions as the storm was moving towards them. So let's just end this episode, like, the weather was the reason as to why this plane crashed, right? But no, we are not ending there. Mechanical error. The investigators discovered that there was no mechanical error of the brakes, spoilers, and thrust reverses. Now it is time for the bombshell. A French newspaper wrote an article about the crash and they exposed that the plane's thrust reversers and spoilers were only deployed 12,8 seconds and 16,4 seconds after the initial landing respectively. That is a red flag automatically. Furthermore, the captain tried to defend his company and himself by saying that he could not deploy the reversers or spoilers because the first officer was holding onto the thrust levers, which meant that basically he could not ask the first officer to remove his hand so that he can deploy the spoilers and the reversers. Make that make sense. Honestly, the crew had two options in this incident. Number one, they could try and stop the plane before it overshoots the runway. Or number two, they could abort the landing, increase the thrust, circle the airport and try to land again. Guess which one they went with? Number one, and they did it horribly. Now, overshooting the runway was rife in the 2000s. In 2005 alone, there were 37 overshoots of the runways and the causes were usually weather and an increase in speed. Either way, I just have to say before I go through the findings and the whole recommendations that were set out by the TSB, I do have to add that the main cause of this crash was definitely the weather. The weather was incredibly bad, but also pilot error. 
So here are the findings that were set out by the TSB. They read as follows. Number one, the crew conducted an approach and landing in the midst of a severe and rapidly changing thunderstorm. There were no procedures within Air France related to distance required from thunderstorms during approaches and landing, nor were these required by regulations. After the autopilot and auto thrust systems were disengaged, the pilot flying increased the thrust in reaction to a decrease in airspeed and a perception that the aircraft was sinking. The power increase contributed to an increase in aircraft energy and the aircraft deviated above the glide path. Approaching the threshold, the aircraft entered an intense downpour and the forward visibility became severely reduced. When the aircraft was near the threshold, the crew members became committed to the landing and believed their go-around option no longer existed. The touchdown was long because the aircraft floated due to its excess speed over the threshold and because the intense rain and lightning made visual contact with the runway very difficult. Selection of the thrust reversers was delayed as was the subsequent application of full reverse thrust. The pilot not flying did not make the standard callouts concerning the spoilers and thrust reversers during the landing roll. This further contributed to the delay in the pilot flying selecting the thrust reversers. Because the runway was contaminated by water, the strength of the crosswind at touchdown exceeded the landing limits of the aircraft. There were no landing distances indicated on the operational flight plan for a contaminated runway condition at the Toronto or Leicester B. Pearson International Airport CYYZ. And finally, the downpour diluted the firefighting foam agent and reduced its efficiency in dousing the fuel-fed fire, which eventually destroyed most of the aircraft. And now I'm going to read the other findings that I feel like the investigators thought that they were more so observations rather than just findings here we go there is no indication that the captain's medical condition or fatigue played a role in this occurrence the possibility of a diversion required the flight crew to check the weather for various potential alternates and to complete fuel calculations although these activities consume considerable time and energy there is no indication that they were unusual for this type of operation or that they overtaxed the flight crew meaning that they could have diverted to ottawa yet they just decided they just didn't want to because they thought that was going to be a logistic hell nightmare the decision to continue with the approach was consistent with normal industry practice in that the crew could continue with the intent to land while maintaining the option to discontinue the approach if they assessed that the conditions were becoming unsafe. It could not be determined why door L2 opened before the aircraft came to a stop. There is no indication that the aircraft was struck by lightning and finally there is no information to indicate that the aircraft encountered wind shear during its approach and landing. Now it is time for the recommendation set out by the TSB. So, the recommendation set out by the TSB goes as follows. The board recommends that the Department of Transport establish clear standards limiting approaches and landings in convective weather for all air transport operators at Canadian airports. 
The Department of Transport mandate training for all pilots involved in Canadian air transport operations to better enable them to make landing decisions in deteriorating weather. And of course, France's Bureau of Inquiry and Analysis for Civil Aviation Safety also got the same recommendation. And then finally, the Department of Transport and all other civil aviation authorities require crews to establish the margin of error between landing distances available and landing distance required before conducting an approach into deteriorating weather. And that is the end of today's episode. I really do hope that you enjoyed it. I think from hearing what I have been talking about in today's episode, these are my favorite type of episodes where we also discuss a little bit of psychology within the crash. Honestly, Pilot Era is one of my favorites because it kind of shows the world that pilots also people too. Pilots also make mistakes and it's kind of good to see that we all the same. Either way, thank you so much for listening. Do not forget to like and subscribe if you're listening to us on YouTube. And if you're listening to us on a podcast listening platform, do not forget to rate us five stars and follow us. Either way, I have been your host, Ronaka Kai, and I'll catch you in the next one. Cheers.